Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. And we had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. <laughs> so welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Apparently, I think we need to start talking a little bit more about our sons. I don't have one. <laughs> okay, well, I do, and I know a lot of people do have sons. And I love your son. Yes, there we go. Um, at least focus on sons as much as we focus on girls. I mean, we've talked to Lisa Damore um, on our show a couple times about raising teenage girls to mm-hmm. adulthood and stuff. So as a parent of a boy and a girl, I think that um, oftentimes so we do talk about their social emotional well-being, but not really for the boys. Well, and I think, you know, with with what's going on in society, you know, there's the whole lean in, there's the whole teach girls to be, you know, confident. And I think people assume that boys are okay. Exactly. We're hyper focused on making them be strong leaders and and whatnot, but and but we don't really take the time to talk about the boys and and what what they need. Sure. So a recent poll of American adolescents found most boys feel pressured to be strong and many feel they are expected to hide their emotions when they are sad. That's such a bummer. The Plan International USA poll surveyed uh, ten to nineteen year olds earlier this year and found that in twenty eighteen Boys still feel as if they're bound to project stereotypical male behaviors, even when they don't want to. This this made me really sad. Yeah. And I see it. I see it at home. I see it at home. I see it at school um, with boys. And hearing that and then recently going to a parent workshop, I, I've kind of, it's put me in a different place where I'm able to look at it a little bit differently. So in our community, I've told you this before, we have this parent organization that focuses on social-emotional learning, um, and they hold workshops. Yeah. It's called um, Helping Navigate Adolescence. I think that's what the name of the group is. And so they have different workshops for girls, Chick Chat and... Um, Chick they, Chat? Yeah. Okay. And they do, for boys, this Compass program. And so this one weekend... Um, we sent my son to the the program. Um, it's for fifth and sixth graders, and fourth and fifth. And they spend the day talking about social emotional stuff, empathy, you know, um, being empathic, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just good stuff. You just, but they make it fun. Sure. Okay? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Not a lecture. Sitting in a lecture for a ten year old is going to be like <laughs> so boring. Right. They want to go play Fortnite. Right. So during that time, we went to this um, parent workshop while we dro- after we dropped them off. And we talked about um, things like self-awareness and problem solving and, and how to um, talk to boys about masculinity and what that was all about. And during the seminar, um, one of the guest speakers featured a clip from a recent documentary called The Mask You Live In. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Yes. So this whole documentary describes the ways boys suffer from our culture's narrow view of masculinity. Okay. 
And I found it really fascinating, and I wanted to play the trailer. Okay. Stop crying. Stop with the tears. Don't cry. Pick yourself up. Stop with the emotion. Don't be a pussy. Don't let nobody disrespect you. Be cool and be kind of a dick. Always keep your mind. Nobody likes a tattletale. Bros come before hoes. Don't let your woman run your life. You bitch. What a fag. Get laid. Do something. Be a man. Be a man. Grow some balls. The three most destructive words that every man receives when he's a boy is when he's told to be a man. We've constructed an idea of masculinity in the United States that doesn't give young boys a way to feel secure in their masculinity. So we make them go prove it all the time. Within their peer group culture, each of them is posturing based on how the other boys are posturing. And what they end up missing is what they each really want, which is just that closeness. In good times, guys are, like, really close to each other. But when things get a little bit worse, you're on your own. From middle school, I had four really close friends. But once I kind of went into high school, I struggle finding people I can talk to because I feel like I'm not supposed to get help. Our kids get up every morning. They have to prepare their mask for how they're going to walk to school. A lot of our students don't know how to take the mask off. What is it you don't let people see? Almost 90% of you have pain and anger on the back of that paper. If you never cry, then you have all these feelings stuffed up inside of you, and then you can't get them out. They really buy into a culture that doesn't value what we've feminized. If we're in a culture that doesn't value caring, doesn't value relationships, doesn't value empathy, you are going to have boys and girls, men and women, go crazy. I had anger issues in high school. I felt like an outcast. I've been suspended at least once every year I was here. We would just look for trouble and just like try to fight. Boys are more likely to act out. They're more likely to become aggressive. Most people miss that as depression or see it as a conduct disorder or just a bad kid. I felt like just giving up on life. You know, I actually had suicide thoughts in my head at sixth grade. I felt alone for, for a long time. And I actually thought about killing myself. Whether it's homicidal violence or suicidal violence, people resort to such desperate behavior only when they are feeling shamed and humiliated or feel they would be if they didn't prove that they were real men. If you're told from day one, don't let nobody disrespect you, and this is the way you handle it as a man, respect is linked to violence. If I can man up, why step down from that, you feel me? It's like instinct. Like a man. Act like a man. Be a man. Be a man. For my kids, I was going to end this hyper-masculine narrative here. Powerful, isn't it? Yes, it is. And so it got me thinking that, like you said earlier, like the lean-in and empowering women, we often celebrate girls who have traditionally masculine qualities like being assertive and courageous, but we don't celebrate the reverse. Think about it. Boys who are sensitive or boys who are empathic yeah celebrating the traditionally quote feminine type qualities like being vulnerable and stuff Mm -hmm. so like for instance if a girl has boy mannerisms she's kind of a badass she's like she's a yeah Mm -hmm. ass kicker fierce yeah but if a boy has a girl mannerisms it's like sissy embarrassing or not cool yep and by the way i don't believe in that i know we don't we don't but 
in, in culture, thing, yeah. it's a societal thing. So to talk about this, we called in a leading child psychologist, Dr. Michael Thompson. He's an author of nine books, including Raising Cain, Protecting the Emotional Life of Boys, which is like the Bible for emotional um, intelligence for boys. It is the go-to. Yes. We had Dr. Thompson on in the first season of our podcast, and we loved him so much we wanted to bring him back to talk about our boys this time. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Thompson. Oh, thank you for having me back. <laughs> Dr. Thompson, so you know your book is now almost 20 years old, and yet it's... Yeah, ex- this month, 20 years old. That's amazing. Ah! Um, but it's just as relevant today, or may- maybe even more so. Let's just sort of start at the beginning. Why do you think gender stereotypes exist? Well, human life is confusing, and humans um, clump things in the categories that have meaning for them. And obviously, given that there are two different kinds of bodies and two different kinds of hormonal systems, we try and uh, we look at each other and we say, well, what does that mean that we're different? And and how should we be different? And how do we compare ourselves to one another? I mean, it's just these are natural biological categories to which we attribute enormous amount of meaning. And then stereotypes become they convey what the agreed upon meanings are, but as that your clip just uh, suggested, the, the agreed upon meanings of what it means to be a boy or be a man may not in fact capture the life and soul of many boys who, who don't think these stereotypes fit them. That's not their experience of their own their own existence. But we stereotype because we're trying to create we're trying to organize or we're trying to create order in our world because because there are so many things to, to sort through, right? Yeah, like, you know, you can't have a different category for every one of the, was it 6 billion people on Earth now? Is it 10 billion? I, I, I can't remember. But <laughs> a lot. It, you know, we, we, we lump them together as Chinese or we lump them together as Indian or South African or black South Africans. Everybody has a... You know, we, we, we categorize people because we, we, it's, it's, so, it's too much information. Mm-hmm. But when we, whenever we do, something's lost, something's sacrificed. Right. So can you, um, can you explain what you mean about teaching boys a new standard of emotional literacy? That's from the book, right? Yes. No, in Raising Cain, Dan Kimmel and I wrote about emotionally illiterate boys and emotionally literate boys. And we just to feel... And the research supports our idea that many boys uh, don't have access to language to describe their feelings because they don't practice it mm-hmm. that much. And and the way that girls and women speak often strikes boys as uncomfortable or not masculine. So uh, your mother asking, how are you, sweetie, thinks, uh-oh, where is this headed? Is this what's she after? Is this going to make me look bad? So that the language of um, the, the conversation, which is often, and, and this is again a stereotype, feminine conversation is often difficult for boys to warm to. Let me give you an example. I have with uh, my colleague, the counselor at Belmont Hill School in Belmont, Massachusetts, uh, run a family group for 14 years, and that means your family's really fallen apart. Your parents are getting divorced. There's an affair. There's drugs. There's a, it's a mess. Your family's a mess. Mm-hmm. And we don't sit down and do what we were both taught to do. We're going to be sharing feelings in here, and this is all going to be confidential. And 
Now, who wants to be the first to share? I mean, are you kidding? At an all-boys school? Yeah, that'll never uh, happen. That, that would, so what we say is, uh, anybody have a family is driving you up the wall? <laughs> ah. uh, it, right? So yeah. You let, uh, you let them be uh, more uh, aggressive uh, about sharing? Like it's almost assertive sharing of feelings or aggressive sharing of right. feelings. Huh. Or even competitive. Who's got the most screwed up family, right? <laughs> and then, That's how you hook and them. Then, um, it's exactly how I hook them. In. And my, I've now worked in a boys' school as a psychologist for 24 years, and it completely changed my practice. Because I say to boys, I say things in more challenging ways. That is, who can rise to this emotional challenge? In Raising Cain, Dan and I said, you have to teach boys that uh, emotional courage is courage. And I think people are always presenting the world of feelings to boys as something soft Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and delicate. And I don't present feelings that way to boys. I present feelings as something hard to talk about, sometimes hard to feel, and in human life, very often hard to bear uh, over long periods of time. And it takes courage. And Boys rise to that. So when you say boy stereotypes are bad, I actually find the stereotype of courage to be uh, an avenue through which I can connect to boys. Sure, that makes sense. So in, in the book, you also talk about changing traditional schooling to help boys. You, you suggest uh, holding off on reading instruction a year or two or having five short recesses a day. Why would that help? There are not a lot of differences, as you heard uh, in the mask uh, you live in. I I say that boys and girls are, psychologically speaking, 90% overlapping. Mm -hmm. We're much more human than we are gendered, right? Mm -hmm. But some of the differences really matter. And one of them is that by school age, three-quarters of the boys in the class are more physically active and more impulsive than any girl. Right. So whereas in many uh, traits, boys and girls are 90% overlapping, in physicality, in school, they're only 25% overlapping, and that means that boys are going to get in more trouble because they look around and they think, what is school? School is sitting down and listening to women talk. <laughs> That's what elementary school is. And one six-year-old boy said to me when I was writing Raising Cain, he said, in school you can't do anything. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, you can't climb on the tables, you can't wrestle, you can't do anything. You have to sit there and listen. And the girls are better at it than I am. And I'm going to get in trouble if I express my physicality. And so I think of school as being somewhat like a jail. Mm-hmm. That's hard for little boys. And why, why I suggest you give them... Breaks, and I think all of us who advocate for boys, uh, Michael Gurian has written a number of books on boys, says he calls them brain breaks. But I've had educators say to me, you can't teach a group of boys for more than 20 minutes without getting them up yep. and moving. Yep. Boys, what's successful with boys in a classroom is movement and teamwork, competition, some kind of public product. There are some teachers who are still worshiping at the altar uh, that learning is best done sitting quietly solo at a desk. And that's that's the model learning position. For many boys, that's just an agony. Yeah, torture. And and you, this is biological, yep. doctor? Like, so, you know, you're talking about the difference. It's, it's just a physical difference. It's not that the boys are yeah, choosing to be that in way. The, in, 
in the life of a fetus, if uh, the fetus is going to be turned into a boy, uh, gets an infusion of androgens. And uh, we've, we're, we're pretty clear, having the brainwashed in androgens in your fetal life that make you coming out wanting to wrestle with other boys and uh, engage in rough and tumble play. It just it, 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 it makes you more physically active. All boys? No, there's some very peaceful, quiet boys, and there's some very rugged, um, raucous girls. But the average boy is much more physical and developmentally immature in comparison to the average girl of the same age. I think that's super important to say, too, because I think some of us, and because I have two girls, um, I think there's judgment when you see a boy climbing on a table and you're like, can't, couldn't, can't you just sit still? But it really is something right. that he can't sit still because he's, he's, he's made that way. He is made that way. And when, when in a play group, when they're, you know, four mothers of girls and then there's some little three-year-old boy who's just a total barbarian. <laughs> the mothers of the girls look at the mother of the boy as if, what, can't you raise a child properly? Yes. But it's just who he is. You know. It really is who he is, and it doesn't mean he's dangerous. And it doesn't mean he's going to grow up and go to jail. <laughs> it just means he's a three-year-old boy. Right. So phrases like, suck it up, be a man, don't cry, stop being a girl... What all those phrases that I think sometimes coaches and and parents use it as like a motivator to get out of that moment. But what what exactly are we doing when we when we say these things to the boys? Well, when I went to work at Belmont Hill, an all boys school, there were still in my first year few coaches who would motivate boys by saying, "Come on, girls, you know, get get running," and and the "you're a girl" would be an insult to motivate and. My head of school hated that. I hated it. And we made a campaign against it. Comparing boys to girls is not the way to motivate them. And it doesn't lead to an attractive masculinity. It leads to a kind of false superiority. If you want boys to run, you you find some other way uh, to motivate them than uh, denigrating girls. It's just not attractive. And, and, and fundamentally, it's not ethical. So these kinds of things have changed, but uh, boys still boys still think of masculinity as not crying and being strong, and that's almost universal in elementary school boys. Our hope of changing that is quite small. So what I think you have to do, you give a broader definition to what is masculinity. Boys are like uh, are strong, but they also have the full range of human feelings and they're they're very sensitive and they read each incidentally boys read each other's faces extremely well Mm -hmm. so they do know what other boys are feeling so i read somewhere that you think we should um encourage our boys to take on caretaking responsibilities just like girls do in terms of absolutely so what yeah how would that help you know if you expect boys to be empathic and to show empathy, you have to put them in situations where they practice. In my PBS documentary based on the book Raising Cain, uh, we showed film from Japanese schools where they take have older boys go down for a period uh, uh, once or twice a week and work with much younger children. And so you have a five-year-old boy working with a two-and-a-half-year-old boy, and then he has to be focused on the two-and-a-half-year-old boy's feelings and 
uh, care for him, and we, we it's it, it's all in the film. But the the Japanese say you have to give children this experience so that they will develop develop omoyashi, which is the Japanese word uh, that we would translate as empathy. You have to practice empathy. Girls almost always end up taking care of smaller children, and many American boys are not asked to ever. They're only asked to be on a sports field competing. Well, first of all, there's all that lost potential of caretaking in boys who might be, in fact, very good at it. If you have boys who might be very good at it, but you never give them a shot at it, that's lost potential. But the boys who might be very good and competitive athletes also need to know how to take care. And we are touched. You know, we're touched when National Football League players go to a hospital mm-hmm. and visit sick kids because we want a complete man. We want a man who is both strong and rugged, but also can turn around and be wonderful with children. So can can empathy be taught? You talked about giving them situations where they can practice their empathy, but so you're you're saying that it could be taught or do you have it do you just are you born with it Wait, no you have the you have the potential for it okay um you have the potential for it and then it has to be you ha- you have to be taught it and you have to practice it elementary school teachers do it all the time you know they, uh, t- two kids have a conflict and then the, the teacher says now did you know how that made her feel do you know how that made him feel that's empathy training Okay. Elementary school teachers do it constantly. But when you imagine that boys are not as empathic as girls or that girls are simply naturally more empathic, then you're engaging in a kind of dangerous stereotyping. But what will happen is that you won't make the effort to ask the boys to be empathic. Mm. Okay. So that's on us. If, yeah. If you don't believe they have the potential, then you're not going to train them, Right. Right. So let's say you have, uh, so in my house, I have a a 10-year-old son. Let's say you have a son who is kind of stereotypical male or going, like trying to fit in with all the boys at school. And a lot of times I think he plays like the tough guy, even when I know he's upset. How, How can I cultivate that awareness in him other than just to talk about it like when there's a situation he comes home and says something happened at the on the playground and then talk about how that other person feels is that like how i could build on that in the day-to-day yeah in the last chapter raising cane i I give a number of suggestions about how to talk to boys about their emotional life but what you don't do is say uh ask emotionally laden open-ended questions like are you upset boys are going to deny it no Right? Um, I do that all the time. What? I do that all the time. I make a mistake. No. Yeah, don't do that. Don't (laughs) ask them questions that puts their masculinity on the line so they have to deny it. Say, son, I see you're upset. Did that other child make you mad? Um, That other child make you feel inadequate? Just go for it. Just name the feelings and let your son know over and over and over, that these are feelings that everybody has. Girls and women, boys and men, all human beings have feelings of shame and inadequacy. And being a man doesn't, you don't get a waiver from feelings of shame and inadequacy. It's part of human life. And it takes some courage to face them. And if another kid makes you feel that way, and it really pisses you off, you have to figure out a way to respond without 
being an antisocial character. That's a good point. Would it help to have our husbands or, uh, in, in general, male partners um, articulate their own feelings to model? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But to understand that they're not going to necessarily do it in the same language. Men and women use language somewhat differently. And Deborah Tannen famously wrote about this in a book called You Just Don't Understand. <laughs> Men and Women in Conversation, a brilliant, brilliant book. She's a psycholinguist. And very often the way you say things, and I was illustrating that before when I was talking about working with the family group, that I don't, I don't do all of this emotional-laden language to get things started. I use more challenging and who's going to step up to the plate kind of language. And then some people think, well, why do you always have to use a sports metaphor? I wasn't much of an athlete as a kid, but I know it works for boys. Yeah. And I'm only interested in getting them to talk, right? Right, you got to speak their language. To, to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So in, in the last chapter of Raising Cain, I say, use language with boys, which appeals to their pride and their masculinity. To, to tell boys, you've all been sold a bill of goods, you have this ter- terrible stereotype, and I know you're just sensitive creatures inside, so let's all share about that. You know, it's like, what? You're going to give boys an allergy. They're not going to respond, right? So we need to... No, they're not. We need to meet them they're where not. they are. Yeah. The other thing is that teachers, elementary teachers, are always saying they see a boy do something bad, and then they go over and they say... Did you do that bad thing? The boy says, no. And they say, now, why did you lie to me? Uh, If you see a boy doing something bad, I always say, assume guilt and move on. Right? I don't don't have a long conversation about whether he did something impulsive and dumb. He almost certainly did, 99% of the time. (laughs) So just work that in. Uh, do the appropriate discipline and move on. Uh But talking, getting boys to confess their badness so that they'll feel closer to their teachers or their teachers will feel closer to them. It doesn't work very well. No. In doing research for this topic and after watching the documentary, I w- like I just saw the trailer at the workshop and then I went home and I, I got it and, t- and watched the whole thing with my husband. I was reading that boys are four times more likely to get expelled from school. One in four is bullied. And this was one that really hit me. Suicide is a third leading cause of death for boys. So in your studies, do you think that these are all attributed to these gender constructs because we're you have to be stoic and suck it up and be a man? Yes. And so 84 percent of completed suicides by teenagers are boys. And boys often think they have to do something masculine and forceful. And so girls actually attempt suicide in the teenage years twice as much as boys. But they take pills and they leave notes. Mm -hmm. And they give us a chance to... um, Save them. To save them. And, and, you know, boys step in front of trains, so they shoot themselves and we have no chance to save them. Uh, It breaks my heart. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps. I mean, I was once presenting, I was talking about a a boy who was tempted to jump in front of a train. And a a woman came up and said, I'm a vice president of Amtrak. And we we have about 180 boys and young men a year who step in front of Amtrak trains. Wow. It's brutal for the engineers. This is terrible for them. Traumatic. But that's, boys do something that is, 
have a masculine death. Yeah. Hard to hear, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. We're getting close to the, the end here, but um, so I have a, a last line of questioning. I'm going to start with Tracy with this, because in the documentary, they talked about gender-neutral parenting. And I want to ask you, Tracy, right. when, when your kids were babies, did you treat Kate like a girl and Ethan like a boy? No. Kate wore brown. We didn't do pink. We had uh, toolkits and um, like that construct, you know, that. Yeah. Plat- the bench. You know, not the- just a kitchen. Right. Ethan played in the kitchen. Uh, he played like everything was like nonspecific. Played dress up. So did he. Like it was all like that. Okay. So I did the right. same thing. I, like Sophie was not allowed to wear any pink. We had uh, a yellow nursery. We had, I gave her a set of cars. Yeah. Remember, right? yeah. yeah. I gave her a set of cars. And you know what she did? What? She created a mommy car and a daddy car and a baby car, and it became a little family of cars. And I was like, dude, they're cars. You see, these categories do help in a confusing world. The perfectly, I've seen a lot of parents try and do gender-neutral parenting, and kids don't accept it. (laughs) They want the world, they, they want, give me the categories so I know how to relate. I mean, that's what we started talking about at the beginning. You know, it's a confusing world, and gender is one way of making sense of the world. It is. So are, were we wrong to try to be gender neutral? Because I thought I was going to make her more balanced, but she she just eschewed that whole <laughs> line of reasoning. Well, you know, I have uh, three grandchildren, and my oldest granddaughter is rugged and not, uh, I mean, she's definitely a girl, but she's, she, she's rugged and direct, and her younger sister, who is five, is just completely over the moon about everything having to do with princesses. <laughs> oh, my goodness princess stuff and the boy we don't know yet he's two and he's wearing a lot of hand-me-down clothes so he has pink uh sandals to wear to (laughs) to the pool and because his his parents have are reusing recycling he has pink water wings uh and uh, that makes us smile but why buy new water wings right right he doesn't care right he doesn't care and um, he's not self-conscious about it. I think it's very hard to do ideologically correct parenting. I think you have to do parenting that you feel, and particularly parenting that fits the child. Right. I mean, should we say to my five-year-old granddaughter, you know, you're kind of too obsessed with princesses stuff. We're going to try and get you to play with trucks now or tools. No, she, you know, for her... It's Belle from Beauty and the Beast, so at we least, buy her Belle stuff. At least Belle That's reads. Belle reads, so she's a good princess. <laughs> <laughs> Girls read. It's the boys who don't read. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so we're, we're, um, I wanted to bring up one last thing. So when we had you on in our first season, we talked about sleepaway camp. And Tracy, yeah. if you remember, Tracy had had a... Explain your, your situation. I, I don't know if you remember, but I, my daughter hadn't gone away yet. For camp, oh, yeah. no, she she, had, she did. She yes. just got, went. Oh yes, it was one week, and I I sent her a fax every day, and you made fun of me for that. <laughs> I did, I did, I do remember that. Okay, yeah. so so uh, I survived that, and so this summer, our right. news, our breaking uh, news, uh, uh, the kids are going to camp together. <laughs> yes, both our our daughters are going to to going to sleepaway camp for two weeks this this time around. Wow, I'm I'm wow. really like I'm really like trying to build myself up for this one because two weeks seems like a very, very long time for me. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking yes. Tracy off the ledge yeah. every single day. You're going day. away. Yes. What are you talking Actually, about? Actually, I'm going to Europe. So, 
<laughs> yeah, actually, so maybe I'll be relying on Tracy to go yeah, get the kids. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to say that we I'm taking baby steps now, and now she's going to go away for two weeks. I'm delighted. And everybody's going to survive. They everybody's will. Everybody's going to survive. And have a, everybody's going to be fine. Yep, and she's going to have a great damn time, so it's going to be great. <laughs> yes, she is. She so, is. Thank you so much, Dr. And Thompson. No, and, and no faxes. No, no faxes. I promise. No Hufflepuff stuff a lot. Yeah. Handwritten notes in uh, on stationery that she will associate with her mom. That's what she wants. Oh, that's that's good. It was the fax was just to I, get it there I faster, seen, doctor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who who has the need to have it there faster? Um, not the child. Yeah, the I, child. I have seen. I have seen campers who have kept their mother's uh, letters and cards in a little plastic bag. And sometimes I've seen campers open them and smell them. Oh, oh my daughter keeps my stuff. She has a shoebox, an old shoebox, and she keeps there my notes go. in it. There I, you go. I need there to, you like, go. I'm that's gonna... going to be a comfort to her at camp. Yeah. So handwritten letters with a little perfume on them. Yes. Send them off. Oh, I don't wear perfume, but <laughs> start now. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Doctor. Right. Thank you so sun much. Suntan, suntan lotion, whatever is <laughs> recognizable. Deodorant. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with us today about our boys. You know, again, sadly, you're, you're I think welcome. We talk about we have girls, but I, I do have a son, and I love him to pieces, and we all do, yes. and so. Some of the times I think people just need to realize when they say things that it has un- unintended consequences. Yes, exactly. So Yes. No, we do have to think about the emotional life of boys. You said at the beginning, sometimes we assume that boys are all just fine. Mm-hmm. And it's not an assumption I make. I'm a psychologist and I've seen enough anxious and unhappy little boys that I don't assume that they're just fine. Super. Thank you, Dr. Michael Thompson, author of Raising Cain. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you. All right, take care. Cheers. Bye now. Bye now. So apparently all those phrases we're using in pop culture and society are really damaging our kids. Yep. Our boys. Right. Specifically. And we need to think about how we give our sons some space to feel, be sad, cry, be needy. But we also have to think about how we approach it and not in a way that's, how do you feel, hon? We, it, because we always, that. I've always thought, don't assume. But now I'm going to assume and say, you know, it looks like, I, I probably won't say you're upset, but I might say, it looks like you're upset. What happened? You know, it doesn't come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. But you know, that's really on us. We have to learn how to talk to boys yes. in ways that don't shame them. For having feelings. Correct. Correct. Think about I, I think think about how when girls when we're upset, we're like, let's go get a gra- grab a pint of Ben and Jerry's honey and oh, let's go talk about like sure. I would never have done that with my son. By the way, I grab a, a pint of something else, but <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not with your daughter. No, no, that's true. Not yet. <laughs> So uh, we'd love to hear from you about how you handle emotion and empathy with your son. Have you ever been caught? You know, using those phrases, mm-hmm. toxic phrases to perpetuate all those gender stereotypes. Yeah. Do you have any stories to share? Because if so, we do want to hear from you. Check out our Facebook page or give us a call at 331-704-0046. Or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently. Apparently.
We make it look easy, we make it look good, when everybody sees 